And please stand for the reading of God's word. Y para los que están aquí, pónganse de pie para la enseñanza. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. It reads, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Isn't it good that Jesus would dine with sinners? I mean, church, uh, I, I, I hope we got a church here today. I, 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 I didn't hear that quite, quite, quite right. But uh, isn't it good that Jesus would dine with sinners? Yes, what a wonderful story this is. What I would like to do with our time today is this. I want to look and meditate on the people in this story and how we relate to them and our response to Jesus as he dies with sinners. Are you ready? You ready, church? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, if it wasn't for your grace, none of us would be in a room fellowshipping together. Lord, I thank you so much that you dine with sinners that you would come near to sinners, that you gave healing to those who are sick, and, Father, that our most deep and spiritual needs are met in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray today as we meditate on Levi and the Pharisees and, most importantly, Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the gospel of grace. Teach us today. Jesus, who you are a friend of sinners, pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, not much is given to us about Levi's specific upbringing, but we do know something about the Greco-Roman world in which he lived and which he exploited to his benefit. No doubt was Levi an opportunist, someone who betrayed his people. Some would call him a sellout. You know, if you come from a certain tradition, you call him an Uncle Tom. But to a degree higher than that of most. Levi was a Jew. Levi is a Jew's name. Levi was a traitor. Levi was a tax collector. Levi was probably on the low end of the tax collector scale. We know that because the Greek word used here is used to describe just one of a tax collector, not a chief tax collector like Zacchaeus in chapter 19 of, of, of the book of Luke. 
But Levi is a tax collector nonetheless, meaning more than likely this man had used this system to extort Jewish people. And because of this, he had become a person who had very little social standing with Jews or the Greeks, because the Greeks weren't trusting of Jews no matter where you came, how you came up. So the Pharisees considered him unclean or a religious outcast. And this is all for that paper, all for opportunity. He is sin. At Bible study, we say this, sin is anything we think, anything we say, or anything we do, and sometimes we act like we're running or moving around or shuffling or something like that, that and we put our hands together and breaks God's law. Can you do that with me real quick? Say, sin is anything we think, anything we say, anything we do that breaks God's law. So Levi had done that by his extortion. And so the criticism from others was well-deserved. And because of that, the only friends he had were people like him, sellouts, extortionists, and those associated with them. Can you think of that band, a group of people, some hard brothers, some brothers who got over on some things, some brothers who used some things to get over on people, who stole things from people. Those are the kind of people that Levi associated with. There is no evidence of a willing spirit to do mercy, to love justice, and to walk humbly with his God before his encounter with Jesus. It doesn't say that Levi was, the, was part of the tax collectors who in Luke verse, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, came to John the Baptist and were baptized in the River Jordan and then repented and asked a question of John and how to live a just and righteous life, with John saying, don't collect any more than what you are authorized. Go back to your job. Don't collect more than what is authorized. Or in hood and knees, stop taking money off the top. Does somebody get that? Somebody has got that. Really. Oh, thank you, amen. <laughs> Levi was not part of those baptized folk, potentially. So for all we know, Levi, who is called Matthew, we know from a parallel account in Matthew chapter 9, is someone who might have been stuck in his old ways, still mobbing, still hitting licks on folk, still taking your grandma to the cleaners. So this makes it even wilder. When a brother like him does this, you guys ready for this? He has a simple but profound interaction with Jesus. That's all it took. Verse 27 says, Jesus walks by after healing a paralyzed man, which we don't know if Levi was even there for that. But as he went out from where he was, Jesus, he looked over and he saw Levi, a tax collector, and he says, Levi, you messed up. Come follow me. Levi, I am the king of the world. No, no, that's not what he says. 
What he says is, follow me. That's it? Follow me? Follow me. You mean that was enough to get this man who was greedy as all get out to shake out of his situation? This just shows something about the power of the word of Christ. When Jesus speaks, there's an authority like no other. One everyone would do well to listen to. Hey, would you turn to a neighbor and do this for me? Can you say, are you listening? Are you listening? Because when Jesus speaks, there's an authority like no other. Levi senses that he is a sinner the moment Jesus speaks. And who knows potentially he has been, who knows, who knows what he's been dealing with, y'all. Levi could have just been hard and nothing, or Levi could have been someone potentially dealing with shame. The shame of his choices his whole life, but didn't know how to get out of it. But when he hears the liberating voice of Jesus, when he hears the call of discipleship, he repents in a real way. Verse 28 says this, Levi got up, rose, and followed him and left everything. Levi gets up and says goodbye to that booth. He says goodbye to that coffin for him. And he rises up and he follows Jesus. Now, one thing to understand is this, y'all. Although it said Levi left everything, he didn't take a match and go to all his possessions. He didn't burn them all. No, no, no. Instead, look at what he does. Levi chooses next to give everything to Jesus. What Luke is trying to get us to get here and to realize is that Levi has course corrected. What Luke is trying to get us the readers to get is that Levi has a new boss. Sure, there were some things he left behind. Much like many of you, when you were called, were called to leave that unjust profession, that job or that lifestyle behind. But there were some things that you kept that now, which always did, whether we acknowledge it or not, belong to Jesus. Something he wanted to use for his glory. Same thing here. Let's look at verse 29. Moving kind of quickly because I want us to get to a part here in a second. I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on with me. Levi took what he had and used it to make a big old feast for Jesus. A grand banquet. I mean, this must have been something, y'all. But not just for Jesus, but for a large group of tax collectors and sinners. Could you imagine this? The most socially outcast people all going to one house and having this big old feast. Can you imagine that? Think about our community real quick. Could you imagine all the people that Nobody likes the smelliest, the stinkiest, the meanest, the ones who got over, the people that people just don't like. 
And all of a sudden, one of the, one of the guys who's like one of the homies is like, hey, yo, I met Jesus. Everybody come to my house at seven. And everybody walks over to his house and you see this big old celebration. Did you imagine that? How awesome would that be? Now, the banquet is a theme that will be continued all throughout the rest of the week, all through the rest of Luke. But for now, this is supposed to invoke the reader's imagination. You mean the Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh would come to a sinner's house and sit down and eat a meal with them? The reader is supposed to think, I'm a sinner. Will he do it for me? And the answer is, what do you think the answer is? Oh, yeah, say it loud and proud. What is the answer? What do you think? Yes, it is. If he will do it for Levi, then that means he will do it for you and your friends. Amen, church? That is good news, church. That is good, good news. One day, there's going to be an eternal banquet for all those who trust in Jesus for their salvation. Church of Jesus Christ, are you excited for that day? Do you imagine that day? Do you meditate on that day? We'll remain ready and hope in Jesus. Turn to a neighbor and say, are you ready? Now, the Pharisees in verse 30, here they come. Just when everybody's having a good time and everybody's having some fun and eating a meal with Jesus, here comes the Pharisees. Fresh off of getting their minds red. I mean, they just had their minds red. Their mail was red right in front of everybody. And they saw the healing of the paralytic. They now come for some some more action, y'all. They already got that smoke. They already got it. And they still want more. It's ready for some more action. Man. First, notice this escalation. They are becoming even more hostile by the encounter. This time, though their minds are not red, this time they use their voices, but they're trying to stir up some division. They don't even address Jesus directly, though. Kind of weak, if you ask me. they like, yo, son, hey. Yo, son, come here. Yo, James, come, come here. Why y'all hang with sinners? Why y'all eating with sinners? Look, even your leader, your leader, he eats with sinners. Why you hanging with them? Now, pause. The Pharisees are supposed to be the religious leaders of their day. In fact, they're probably the most respected Jewish leaders of their day. So they thought it was their duty to sort out the sheep from the goats. As many false prophets had come before Jesus and afterwards, their job was to keep that stuff at bay. So, of course, they are suspicious. But y'all know Jesus, right? So Jesus answers them while they are grumbling like some little kids, like, I hate to eat with sinners. We just saw him heal a paralytic. 
Of course, he's got some power and stuff, but you were sinners. Jesus answers them while they're grumbling with not a stern, you hypocrites, but with a soft rebuke and a teach, a teaching moment. At this point, he is not calling them that, hypocrites. As the heat intensifies, he will. But for now, it seems that Jesus is more focused on correcting his opponents and teaching his disciples who are listening in and keying off of his every move. He says, those who are well, verse 31 and 32, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Meaning those who are well don't go to a doctor. Think about that. If you're sick, do you go to a doctor? If you're well, do you go to a doctor? Well, yeah, no. For the, mo- for the most part, you know. Most, of, most part, unless you are real sick, you're going to doctors. For some people, it's like death going to a doctor. Only people who are sick go to a doctor. Sinners, when called by Jesus, come to him. Those who think they are righteous on their own do not. That's sobering. We'll come back to that. But what the Pharisees miss here is this, that Jesus is a son of God, calling all the spiritually sick, including them, to the table to eat some dope food and have a great time. But they are too focused on themselves and their self-righteousness to see God calling them to a great banquet. Something that Peter knew and Levi knew as both of these disciples repented in a real way and knew that they were sinners in need of God's grace. Now, there's much more to learn here, but I want to key on a, key, a couple of things. As readers of this word, how should we respond? How should we respond? Here's the first way. We should call, answer the call of Jesus in the same way. That Levi did. Could you imagine throwing a big feast for Jesus and your friends? How cool would that be? Answering the call happens through surrender and repentance. The call of discipleship is a call of repentance. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, Know that repentance is not only a one-time event, a turning away from evil and sin to righteousness and trusting in Jesus. It is a lifestyle of confession of sin and course correction. The discipline of repentance is not often talked about, but is core to who we are while we're fighting the good fight. And although Levi did not renounce all his possessions in the way you would think, He did renounce lordship. Everything was God's now, including his life. 
And he proved that by the way he would finish his life. Dying for the sake of the name. He would give it all for Jesus and for the lost. Hey, here's a little lesson from Levi. If you don't feel confident in sharing the gospel yet, do learn. Come hang out with Greg. Go hang out with John Mark, Candace. Go hang out with Kent. Go hang out with Marissa. Go hang out with them. Ask them to teach you the the gospel and how to share it. But don't let that stop you from throwing great parties for Jesus and inviting your friends who don't know him. Invite some mature believers and boom, you acting like Levi. Can you imagine that? Hey, I came to know Jesus. The bar is not super high. It's just, hey, tell people about Jesus. Invite your friends to Jesus. Throw a big party for Jesus. That's all you have to do, and you'll start acting like Levi. Do not judge your unconverted friends. Instead, invite them to Jesus who dines with sinners. Which brings us to our next point. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Church family, one of the biggest temptations the church faces is to become the people who tend to make fun, we tend to make fun of as we read the Gospels, the Pharisees. We tend to make fun of them, and we tend to become them sometimes. Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Apostle Paul builds on that in Galatians 5.9 about the leaven ruining the whole lump, which is this, self-righteousness blinds us to the mercy of God at work through Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. I want you to hear this, church family. Hey, self-righteousness blinds us to the mercy of God at work through Jesus. Pharisaism blinds us to the gospel. But we're so prone to, we're so prone to it, y'all. Hey, I'm going to throw something up on the screen for you guys to see real quick. It's a quote by Justo Gonzalez who is a scholar. While reading his commentary on Luke, I was just stopped dead in my tracks about this point. He explained it so well that I just wanted you guys to see it. The term Pharisee has a bad connotation for many of us. We tend to think of it as synonymous with hypocrite. That is in part because we look at Pharisees through the lens of the gospel stories, meaning we read the gospel stories and we see the Pharisees through that and we think of them as hypocrites. And in part because we do not wish to admit how much like those Pharisees we really are. Among the various Jew sects and groups, the Pharisees were the most worthy of respect. They were the people most concerned with making sure that the law was applied and obeyed and obeyed in every aspect of life. Guys, do you want to be faithful to Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus played out in every aspect of your life? So today, or at least God's ways. Others thought the temple sacrifices and obedience to the to the clear letter of the law were sufficient. The Pharisees went beyond that, asking how the law applied to cases not explicitly named in the law. What is work? And what is rest? What is clean and what is unclean? Meaning this, they were taking 
the scriptures, and they were creating a biblical worldview, applying it to every single aspect of life. Isn't that something we do, church? Yep. How do we make sure that we are not that we are a faithful people when we live in circumstances different from those when the law was written? All of these are questions that faithful Christians have asked through the ages and must continue to ask. As Christians, it is easy for us to look at others with disdain or at least to question their standing before God. He drinks, she flirts, they cheat, they blaspheme, they don't go to church. They practice immorality. In short, they are not as close to God as we are. Mm. But this is an attitude that prevents us from experiencing and accepting the grace of God. It is an attitude that, while claiming to serve the God of grace and love, denies God's love for others and God's grace for ourselves. That's a profound quote. Which is why it's so important to remember the main thing. The main thing. This week while I was at Remington Apartments, y'all, I was out sharing the gospel with a couple of friends. I had the privilege of co-teaching a Bible study with a struggling single father named L. I'm just going to name him L. As I was teaching his three boys... He would chime in with some things. So he just started saying some things about the story, and it was really beautiful. In fact, his kids were, like, amazed that his father, their father, knew some things. And then he just started confessing to his kids, like, right right in front of me. Did not care if I was there. Didn't, Didn't matter about the shame. He started talking to his kids. And he said, I messed up. It was, it was hitting me. It was hitting me as he went back and cried in my car. You know. But the, he said, I messed up. I should be doing more Bible studies with y'all. I got to encourage him that he could just start anew. He could start fresh. It seemed like a weight came off his back. He just started making a plan to read more. You could see it in his face. He just got excited. He started making a plan for how they're going to read the Bible at night. And that he was going to start taking them to his aunt's church. And that they weren't going to miss church anymore. Now, when he said he messed up, I could have said in my arrogance, bro, you are messing up, bro. You are falling, my guy. Get your act together, bro. Get like other brothers I see who read the Bible every night. But that would not have helped. And it would have been incredibly rude. It wouldn't have set him free, family. More burdens equals more bondage. One that Jesus offers to sinners is this, an easy yoke, a light yoke. And honestly, I'm a sinner, 
just like he is. You are just like Levi, a sinner. And the only reason we walk in forgiveness today before a just and holy God is because of God's grace, his mercy, his steadfast love, his kindness. Not by your works or anything you have done did you earn that. It is a gift despite all your deepest flaws and failures. Friends, don't ever forget that. Turn to your neighbor and tell them to remain in the gospel. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ root you. May the cross be ever before you. As we know that, like the Bible translator and reformer, Zach, you mind putting up Richard Taverner's quote real quick? He's a Bible translator and reformer. He says, Christ calls himself a physician who by a wonderful kind of surgery was wounded for our iniquities so that he might heal the wounds of our sins. It is through the healing power of Jesus, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, that sinners receive forgiveness for our sins. Amen, church? It is the only way that sinners can truly dine with the holy God. It's the only way we can achieve forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, I have come. And what he, what did he do? He offered healing, spiritual healing, the thing we most needed through his body and blood that we eat and drink. And it's a cure for our sickness, like a prescription drug. Friends, that communion we just took, that we just ate of, is deep, y'all. Christ is calling all sinners to come and dine with him. Won't you come join him at the table? No matter what you did in your past, no matter what you did this week, no matter what you did this morning, won't you come join him at the table? Church family, for real, will you do that? And if you don't know Jesus, Here's your invitation. Come join Jesus who dies with sinners. At this time, I'm going to invite the worship team up to play our last song to close. And at Redemption Church, we have an altar. Anyone who wants to confess any sins is welcome to come to this table during our last song. An altar is indeed... A table, after all, although this doesn't quite look like a table. Know that Jesus is waiting for you here. If you feel in your heart that you need forgiveness of your sins, or you got some sins to confess, I encourage you to come down. Take, take a seat, take a knee. Confess those sins to Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And he longs to dwell with you and to dine with you. I want to close our time by reading a prayer from Martin Luther King Jr., whom many will celebrate tomorrow. This comes from his sermon titled, Man's Sin and God's Grace. And here's what it says. This is going to be our prayer for this time. 
O God, our gracious Heavenly Father, help us to see the meaning of this grace and help us to realize that in our sinful lives there is some hope. There is a way out through thy powerful and ever-flowing grace. In the name and spirit of Jesus we pray. Amen. And all of God's church says, Amen.